Welcome to All Fired Up. I'm Louise, your host, and this is the podcast where we talk all things anti-diet. Has diet culture got you in a fit of rage? Is the injustice of the beauty ideal getting your knickers in a twist? Does Fitspo make you want a Spitspo? Are you ready to hurl if you hear one more weight loss tip? Are you ready to be mad, loud and proud? Well, you've come to the right place. Let's get all fired up. Welcome back once again to another absolutely fiery episode of All Fired Up. I'm so excited this week because my guest today is someone I've been wanting to chat to almost since I started the podcast and it's just been a bit of a scheduling issue that we haven't got together before now but something came across both of our awareness and it got us both fired up and boom here we are with today's episode. So we've talked a lot about diet culture and all of its harms that it does over the months since we started All Fired Up and most of those conversations have I guess related to the experience of women inadvertently of course but you know what we really need to talk about how diet culture impacts on men and bringing that male perspective in is today's guest Shane Jeffrey. Shane is a really accomplished anti-diet dietitian. He's based in Queensland at Food, Mind and Body Wellbeing and at his service it's absolutely anti-diet, absolutely haze friendly And he helps people recover from eating disorders and from disturbed relationships with food. He just does some great stuff and he's a really wonderful guy. So my chat this week with Shane was awesome because he's livid about what's going on in diet culture and how it's really starting to impact on the mental health and well-being of men. So without further ado, I give you me and Shane. Shane, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thanks, Louise. It's awesome to be here. And I've been looking forward to this for a little while now. There's a few things that have got me fired up, especially in the area of males and diet culture and weight loss products and things like that. So I can't wait to uh, get into the discussion with you. Really looking forward to it. Yeah, I've been really looking forward to it for a long time as well. And as you said, what's firing you up is, in a nutshell, how would you phrase it? Well, I think it's really the way that the whole diet culture now, my, my feeling is it sort of hasn't necessarily saturated the female market, but I guess it's, it, it seems to be more of a push into bringing males into that domain. And I guess the thing that really stands out for me there is the Brendan Travola ambassadorship to, to Jenny Craig. Oh, uh, yeah. You know, I was reading, I was flicking through the internet, I think it was November or December sometime, and I came across this article and I just sort of had me thinking, you know, this is something I've got to speak to Louise about. I'm sure she feels the same. <laughs> you knew where to come with the rage. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, right. I mean, it's definitely a trend, isn't it, to get more and more men sucked into diet culture and weight loss culture. And Jenny Cray using a male ambassador is just such a naked attempt to grab the male market, isn't it? Well, it is. And I think the sad thing is, is that from a company point of view, it's, it's obviously been somewhat beneficial for them to use females. And so they've obviously thought, okay, well, if we can make this much money out of the female population, there's a whole not a percentage of the population being males that we can be targeting here. And it's just it's really sad that anyone's being brought into this, let alone the whole another 50% of the population, so to speak. 
I know. It's particularly distressing because as we've seen sort of social media, Instagram, and just this bringing more and more kind of pressure on males to look a certain way, we've seen a real spike in eating disorders in men in Australia. And I remember reading a statistic that from Eating Disorders Victoria, I think that's where I saw it, where they said just in 10 years, like in 1995 to 2005, eating disorder rates in men have doubled. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And, you know, as you say, you know, over the last probably 10 to 15 years, there's been significant increases. And it's one of those ironies, I think, where the, you have a body image focus, which is also on weight, but it's also on, on physique and sun's out, gun's out, all those sorts of messages that are really starting to be built into the culture around like kids and those types of environments, which really puts an emphasis on body shape, appearance, that sort of thing, rather than the things we'd rather be talking about. Mm. And it's just undeniable in a way that as this focus and attention has increased, so has the rate of eating disorders. It is a correlation, but when we see that kind of explosion in men, it's just so similar to what happened with women's magazines back in the 70s and 80s as that kind of increased and the supermodel thing kind of increased, so did eating disorder rates. So this goes hand in hand we can't ignore that relationship between diet culture and its emphasis on you have to look a certain way and how that translates into people developing disordered relationships with food and eventually eating disorders it's not helpful right yeah yeah i think you hit the nail on the head there but you know i think it's widely accepted certainly in the eating disorder community i think that dieting is the number one risk factor for the development of eating disorders and so irrespective of race, sex, age, once people start dieting, you put the focus on food, you put the focus on body image, you put the focus on numbers and you know, history tells us that that leads you know, to one outcome and it's generally not a very good outcome for a lot of people. Mm, yeah, there's so much body consciousness that's happening. It's, it's really unhelpful. And I was actually, you know, knowing that this interview was coming up, I was at the supermarket yesterday and just coming up to the little checkout thing and just noticed the magazines that were next to the checkout. And there's, of course, the usual kind of, I don't know, how, what you call a collection of so-called women's magazines, <laughs> like a, I don't know, I want to call it a murder of magazines. But there were three, no fewer than three magazines about men and targeted to men. One was men's health and there were a couple of other ones and all of them were saying stuff on the front like shred and you know lose your gut and it's that language that I'm used to seeing on women's magazines and it was just like really apparent when I looked at it that emphasis was on men need to look a certain way. One of the things that I sort of noticed with men is there tends to be a fairly strong association between dieting health and, and physique. So from the point of view of coming back to that Brendan Favola article I was reading, there's a comment in there or something around when he was at the height of his playing career, he was about 105 kilos. And at the moment, he, he wants to get down to 103. But wow. when, I was reading, when I was reading, I said, well, at the height of your career, you're, you're, playing, you're, you're an elite AFL player. At the height of his career, he's one of the best doing shitloads of physical training on a regular basis mm. and his weight and his physique are going to be reflective of his lifestyle at that time and so I guess where, I, where I'm concerned for his welfare I suppose is that having this goal of getting back to 103 or 105 whatever his goal is 
is that it's not going to be the same body. Yeah. Because you know, he's not exercising at the moment. The weight he's lost has largely been through through the Jenny Craig program because he hasn't been exercising because he's had a, I think mm. he's had an Achilles or something. Yeah, and, he's um, literally just starved himself with the calorie restriction and that's reduced his weight. Yeah, that's right. And, you know, it's reduced his weight. It's potentially negatively influenced his, his metabolic functioning, potentially negatively influenced his body composition where he's had muscle wasting. But it'd be really interesting to see, you know, how things pan out over time for him in terms of his success because my understanding of, of how things have worked with the Jenny Craig ambassadors it hasn't been a fantastic success <laughs> story once you get past the first couple of weeks. Yeah, well, the ambassadors, humans, just the same as the humans who buy the product and the scientific truth behind these programs is that practically anyone will drop weight from starvation, calorie restriction, in the short term. However, what happens is that after a maximal period of like six months, the body really fights hard to restore that weight loss. And by longer term, so looking at anything from sort of one to five years, that body weight is restored. And in one to two thirds of people, they will actually end up overshooting and putting on more weight than they lost on the initial diet. And that's not because these people aren't trying or they don't care or they're not psychologically motivated enough or they're not spiritual enough. That's, it's just literally physiological responses to calorie restrictions. Our bodies just don't like shrinking. So, yeah, the story of the Jenny Craig ambassador is the story of every other human or 95% of humans, which is it will give you a little bit of a result for a short period of time and then you'll be back maybe to where you started and maybe you might be a little bit heavier. So that's probably, you know, the crystal ball for Brendan as well. Yeah, you, you would certainly, certainly think so and hope so. And where it gets tricky, I guess, and you know, just to pick up on that point, you say that the ambassadors are, are humans as well, I guess that's when, you know, the Jenny Craig's and other companies really use their ambassadors because, because if these people are losing a certain amount of weight in a short period of time, then the other humans around them are going to be thinking, well, if they can do it, I can do it as well. Mm. And the part that really concerns me around around the use of ambassadors in these situations is they'll really exploit the period of weight loss, but then you don't hear the back part of the story, which is mm. the following period you spoke about when the weight starts coming back on and the body starts metabolically shifting and those sorts of things. You know, all of that part of the story gets tucked away, it's there, it's known, mm. but it's just there in the same way. And I think it's a real injustice really to, to anyone using the products because they're not... Yeah. marketing full service no, or full no. range of outcomes? They're not showing you the full picture. So I think of dieting as like a roller coaster. Like, so you start at the top and then you lose weight, so you go down and then you kind of flatten a bit and then you start going back up again. And the diet companies get those ambassadors on the downward slope and at the bottom and then they bury them. And then they reject them and then they blame them. And we saw that with Magda Sabansky when she regained the weight. She was blamed by the company and she was blamed by the media. And the worst part of it was that she blamed herself too. She agreed with it because I guess of that internalised weight bias and self-hatred that affects so many people who struggle with weight issues. You know, that's the most hideous part because I really want to get that message out that diets don't work for anyone. 
And that's what science is showing us. And if you're finding that the weight's coming back following short periods of weight loss, that's not due to your failure. That's due to the method of dieting, which is only ever going to work in the short term. Yeah, yeah, I think you're spot on there. The this whole notion that, you know, I guess we live in a society, don't we, where we, you know, we want everything now, we want it quickly. Mm. And, you know, all of those magazines you referred to earlier, you know, it draws people in. Mm. It sells, it sells them the dream. It's the dream life, isn't it? You get the six pack, you get the big guns, you get the tight toned muscles, you get all the stuff. Mm. But it's, it doesn't last. It's not sustainable. And what we tend to find, so in, I'm sure it's the same in your, in your private practice, but we get the people who present looking for an alternative because they've been through this process so many times. You know, we try and point out to people that there's a theme here. You've tried so many diets. None of them have worked. Mm. You're the one thing that's common along the way. The diets are what's failed, not you as a person. Yeah, but that's the big shift to get people to understand, isn't it? Because people really do think it's them. And to turn it around and say, what if it's not you? What if it's the diet? Is like the beginning of a much more empowered way of looking at all of this. Definitely. And for those people who come on that journey, just to see you know, how liberated they are and how empowered they are. And I had a patient a couple of weeks ago, and the way she described it to me, I've got my life back. Yeah. You know, a long time her personality came back to socialising again. And we took the whole focus off dieting, we took the whole focus off weight and just said, okay, well, let's, let's just try and connect with having good relationships with food and good relationships with your body and, and trying to build that in a constructive way and move her out of that whole diet cycle. Yeah, I love that phrase you use, like let's try and build something because diet culture is always getting us to just shrink something. <laughs> That's yeah, and I think that's the real difference between the two approaches. Yeah. So there's that whole process, I guess, of Marsley being drawn into this process of dieting and the restrictive component, which I guess gets advocated by you know, the Jenny Craigs and the magazines and the whole culture around there. And the other thing we're, we're really noticing in our work in sport nutrition, but also general dietetics now, is the number of, of males really taking on this idea that protein is the way to to get that body, that you don't necessarily have to buy, but you need as much protein as you like, and you need to be eating cold chickens, a big bit of steak and protein steaks. And, yeah. You know, it's a real misnomer, and again, it's marketed very well. Yeah, um, so yeah. Why is that? Do you think it's because they're saying that, you know, protein builds muscle, and so if you just eat protein all, all the time, you'll just become a big muscle? Yeah, well, I think it comes from... from, from Probably two main areas. One is because of that belief that you've identified that protein is the building block of muscle tissue. So the more of that I have, the more muscle I have. But I guess it also, again, comes through different media sources like muscle building magazines, etc., and muscle building products, where they overemphasize the use of protein in order to get a certain physique or to develop muscles. And the reality is, is that your body can only use so much protein in a 24-hour period. <laughs> Essentially. And what happens to the protein that your body can't use? Well, it ends up, you know, essentially being being stored and excess calories will be consolidated in the fat tissue if they're, if they're not utilised, essentially. So the way most people generally try and combat that is by following a high-protein, low-carb diet. And the challenges there are is that the muscles just aren't fueled adequately to do the exercise that they want. So they generally don't get the results they want, therefore they start taking more protein powder. So it's similar to the diet cycle where they get mm. put in this cycle where they just 
keep feeding and feeding and feeding on protein. And the most worrying concern from my perspective is the age group we're seeing a lot of growth around this is probably around about the 14 to 15, maybe 16-year-old boys. Oh, you're kidding. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's so sad. That. Yeah. And so that then starts translating. And once they get on that, we also, to speak, then they start becoming more watchful of what they're eating and then food gets segregated into good food and bad food and guilt starts coming into the equation. Yeah, it all gets out of hand very quickly, you know. Yeah, and there's your eating disorder. <laughs> that's right, you know. Yeah. You know, if you had to create a potion or a pathway into an eating disorder, well, there's one right there waiting, isn't there? Yeah, and it's hidden beautifully, isn't it? Because protein shakes, muscle building, going to the gym, all of that is viewed as healthy. All of that is viewed in a positive lens in diet culture. So I was talking to my client actually just this week and her son is really developing kind of an obsession with healthy eating and protein and building up muscle. And as we spoke, it just became increasingly clear that her son was very obsessive about this stuff. But because his body has changed and he has become noticeably more muscly, he's getting all of this positive attention from everyone at school and even from his father. And so we're seeing that same thing, that often when girls start developing an eating disorder and dropping weight, they're complimented for being sick. And that's really going to supercharge the eating disorder. And I think that this sort of stuff, is similar to what is happening in boys and men when they suddenly start getting all this positive attention for being ripped or shredded or big then a really hard thing to let go of and stop doing yeah that's right and and just to draw the analogy you know further between the dieting the weight loss and the the protein and the bulking up and those sort of things that it's certainly not uncommon for you know groups of guys to to go into the gym together and try, you know, having this internal competition among their peers to see who can build the most muscle and who can gain the most size and, and those sort of things. And it's really mirroring all the stuff we know about traditional diet culture in a different setting. And yeah, yeah. So, like bonding in a kind of eating disorder mindset. Correct. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, but in a bro kind of way as opposed to a more female kind of way. And that, that's harder to pick up isn't it? It's male eating disorders are much more under the radar and much more difficult to identify than, I mean, no eating disorder initially is easy to identify, but I think especially in this group, young men, really hard to pick up and really hard to challenge. That's right. And I think a lot of that, Louise, comes back to this notion that going to the gym and looking after yourself is seen as being something positive and healthy. Mm. And so within that I guess the broader Australian culture, you know, we're traditionally we like to be known as a sporting culture. We always talk about how many gold medals we win at the Olympics and the Commonwealth Games and it sort of taps into that sporting culture. It taps into the culture of supposed health and exercise and being physically active. And what's flying under the radar while that's all there is this festering obsession, as, as you mentioned, around food and health and what I should be eating and what I shouldn't be eating and, and that sort of thing, which is a real concern, partly yeah. because it's happening in, in quite young adolescent boys where bodies are changing anyway. Yeah. And, and secondly, because they're quite influential and I think somewhat vulnerable to get caught up in that culture too. Yeah, absolutely. Well, if, it, if it's unquestioned, if it's ubiquitously a good thing and you're naturally competitive, then it's going to take hold. 
I wanted to ask you, what is the impact of sort of kids, really, 14, 15, 16-year-old boys who are kind of overdoing, like on low low carb and high protein diets? Like what's the impact of that kind of stuff on a growing body? Well, I guess the risk is, you know, in the absence of adequate energy, you could potentially get uh, limitations in growth and development. You have limitations in, you know, especially in those school-age kids in terms of their performance at school, concentration. A lot of the things that we would generally see in generalised starvation, undernutrition, and I think what poses the risk for a lot of these people is that they don't look emaciated, they don't look underweight. In fact, they'll often look quite healthy. But when we see them, parents will report that they're struggling more at school, they're not getting as good of grades, they're a bit more moody. So a lot of the things that we see in generalised starvation, the things that we see in these adolescents and maybe even older guys who, who get caught up in this process of dietary calorie restriction and with that goal of trying to attain a certain belief or appearance. Mm, yeah. Yeah. And it's uh, really hard to pick up. It's very hard to pick up. And as you were saying, you know, a little bit more moody, I was thinking teenage boys, a bit more moody. Like how do you differentiate between, you know, a teenage boy who's just a teenager and a teenage boy who's exhibiting symptoms of starvation? Yeah, it's, it's really difficult. And often when we talk to the boy themselves, they have a lot of difficulty identifying that shift. But when we sit down with the parents and we go through, you know, we, we talk usually often talk about the Minnesota study and the starvation study and some of the factors that come out of there. And, and the parents go, oh, yeah, now that you mention it, now that you mention it, they've been aware of it, but they haven't really been able to tie it to anything. Mm, yeah, yeah, because they're non-specific symptoms, right? That's right. And, and as I say, like some of those things may be associated with some visual adolescent-based changes. But when you stack it up again, the way the person's eating, the focus on body, the amount of exercise they're doing, the calorie deficit, and you essentially highlight that what, you know, essentially what we've got here is a rigid process. There's no real difference to dieting. And the impacts of dieting, then probably more so for parents and the guys themselves, so the penny drops a little bit. Yeah. And then we sort of do a little bit of work with the, with the person around trying to develop more insight around process for them yeah which is very difficult when an eating disorder is just beginning and there's a lot of positive reinforcement externally because one of the things i find is trying to talk to people when they first have an eating disorder is really difficult because they're quite attached to it still so even if they can get some insight into okay maybe what i'm doing is a little bit out of control or you know is a bit extreme i still like it and i'm not going to stop it that's right and my experience is probably that people really question, you know, when I have these discussions with people, they, they really start to question the definition of health and wellness because when we start asking them to change in their mind, they're doing these things to be healthy because they're exercising and to be strong because they're building muscle and lots of positive associations. And when we start talking about the negatives associated with it, they, they sort of start to really question the more traditional meaning of health and well-being, if that makes sense. Yeah, a bit more of a rounded idea of well-being because it's, it's really difficult to figure out if it's health or if it's health obsession because we live in a culture which is health-obsessed. So it's remarkably difficult to sort of unpack in your own head, okay, is what my child's doing or is what I'm doing truly healthy 
Or have I completely become obsessive, rigid, inflexible and driven about this? And Because for me, that's the difference like between doing something because, you know, I value health versus being kind of out of control and being sort of governed by this idea of perfect health. It's in how flexible you can be, how relaxed you can be and how much enjoyment you're getting out of what you're doing as well. Yeah, I would totally agree. I mean, you know, one way that, that I, I sometimes try and pull that apart is I've got guys who are really wanting to hold on to what they're doing. I'll often say to them, if you think about your friends, family, that sort of thing, would you recommend this lifestyle for them? Would you recommend they adopt your way of eating and they exercise as much as you do and those sort of things? And often they'll say no. And then we ask them why not, and they'll be able to identify with good logic the reason for why it shouldn't happen. That's a um, really that, good way of good. That great question to ask. Really, a way of figuring out, like if it's okay. I really like it because it comes back. You had the recent podcast with Kira talking about self compassion. Yeah. I sort of think it taps into that a little bit because once we start bringing in family members and close friends, we want to treat them with kindness. You know, people are generally pretty kind to other people. Yeah, and, and much kinder people. sometimes than we are to ourselves. Exactly, and. And I think we want to try and get some leverage out of that and say, okay, well, if you wouldn't recommend it somebody you care about, then what makes it okay for you? And really starting to get them to think about what they're doing from a different perspective. Because sometimes I think if you, especially with, and, you know, it, it's certainly the case with females as well, but I find it a little bit more challenging with adolescent males. As you challenge them, they'll, they'll dig their feet in more, you know what I mean? Yep. And so rather than have that battle with them, we just sort of shift the focus through discussion and go, okay, well, would you recommend this to one of your mates or a relative? And if not, why not? And then you go, okay, well, you've, you've basically identified the concerns that I've got that you've done it yourself. Yeah, that's a really good opening and a really good way in to developing insight of what's going on. But it's so hard when diet culture literally saturates and challenges messages of, you know, relaxed relationship with food and flexibility and I was listening to the radio the other day there's a radio station here in Sydney which is an all-male kind of sporting kind of crew and the show is sponsored by the man shake have you heard of that yes I have (laughs) (laughs) is the man shake a protein shake or is it just a very low calorie shake it's sort of in between, so it's not as um, rigid as one of the, the beer diet shakes out there. It is a meal replacement drink. The way that it's marketed is that it's not used exclusively as a meal plan replacement. So generally they'll say, okay, use it two or three times a day and use our recipes to have your food alongside it, etc. cetera. Mm. But ultimately it's still, it's still relying on people to disengage from food. It's still... Focusing on food being good and bad, it still has a weight focus. And one of their mantras is lose the beer gut without losing the beer, which I think in some ways talks to moderation because it's, you don't have to give up everything. But at the same time, the focus is still on weight loss, which makes you feel really uncomfortable with it. Yeah, I've got a real problem with that when they lose the beer gut without losing the beer. Like, I get what you're saying, but I think the marketers probably think that they're talking moderation. but what they're really talking about is a shake instead of eating, which is, that is not moderation. <laughs> That's a really extreme thing to do to your body. 
I really hate that marketing that like basically is selling you complete calorie restriction and they're pretending not to be. Oh, we're so flexible. You can still drink beer, but you can't have a whole meal. It, that just doesn't make sense to me. Exactly. And the point you make is, is really important, I think, because it, again, you know, to me, when it comes to all of this stuff, the biggest frustration I have is the false premise of the marketing process. Yeah. Such um, bullshit all over you know, the place. <laughs> We've talked a lot on the All Fight Up podcast about the bullshit marketing and it's primarily towards women, but bullshit marketing is just as prevalent towards men and it's really horrendous that this is going on and it doesn't get criticised. No, it flies under the radar. And going back to the Brendan Favola thing, you know, with the man shape, it's got the power of celebrity behind it, you know. Former NRL players, I don't know what it's like down there in Melbourne, but up here in Brisbane, you know, they advertise it during the NRL, they mentioned on the NRL shows on Foxtel. It's really trying to take that, that marketing through using that celebrity as endorsement. Yeah, and like peculiar, I can't even say the word, peculiarly Australian celebrity endorsement, which is use an Australian sportsman and boom, everyone's going to listen, which is, it's so underhanded and disgusting. But I wanted to ask you, because women are used to being marketed to with weight loss, and I'm not saying that's a good thing at all. But there is more, I guess, awareness and pushback in a lot of females about being sold to all this bullshit. But in men, I guess my question is, do you think men are just not being critical about this marketing that's happening towards them? Like, or is there any kind of pushback? My understanding is that the pushback largely comes from people like myself and you and other people who are sort of professionals working in the area. I was reading something a little while ago. There was a study done, I think it was in the UK, where they looked at the different dieting patterns between men and women. And they were saying something like, you know, 93% of males, this is a study back in 2007, I think, haven't never really dieted before. Yeah. And so I, I don't think men are really, have really switched on just yet about the dangers of what this presents to them because it's sold as such a positive thing. I don't know, it's so, so positive. No, no negatives at all. Just you're going to drop the weight, you know, rock hard abs and everything's going to be fine. There's, there's very little awareness. And that really worries me because, you know, I often feel like ringing up that radio station saying, what are you doing? And they often fat shame one of the guys on it. And, yeah. you know, and you see it on the footy show too, like lots of fat shaming. It's in that sporting culture to fat shame so I guess it's like a perfect place to start marketing weight loss bullshit to men yeah and the other side of it too is, is that, that whole fat shaming thing is yeah. uh it's kind of becoming more prominent through that male avenue as well whereas going back to the days of I don't know if you remember Norm the, the life be in it fella yeah I remember Norm <laughs> yeah it's just this whole obsession around you know for men that they really seem to focus in on two things one being the gut and one being the muscles yeah, you're right, you're right. And you see it even, you know, Homer Simpson is fat-shamed and another dad, Peppa Pig's dad, is always fat-shamed for having a big tummy. And, you know, it's just, it's not okay. This idea that having a tummy means all sorts of stuff, like laziness and stupidity, and it's a source of derision and being laughed at. Even in that Brendan Favola article, he says, oh, my manager sent me a laughing email saying, ha, 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 you should be the Jenny Craig ambassador, like it was funny. 
Yeah. I think that kind of really laughing at men who are bigger, I don't think it happens as much in to women. I mean, women get a whole host of other reactions to their bodies, but this laughing at the fat man is a real stereotype. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And it's something that, from my experience of having interactions with people who sort of experienced, it's just taken as, you know, there's not a lot of offence taken to it a lot of the time, and, and I think that's one of the things that makes it hard. Yeah, you're right. It's not taken seriously. It's not seen as bullying or prejudice. No, no. it's just seen as a source of humour, which it has the same impact. I have male clients who talk about body shame and feeling just as devastated as women who have that experience happen to them. But I guess there's less permission in men's circles. (laughs) I'm not talking like an expert, by the way, but I think there is less permission for men to kind of talk about body shame and what it's like to be a bigger man in society. Yeah, what that does is it brings into play, you know, males talking about their emotions and their feelings and those sort of things. You know, there are lots of stereotypes around not being able to do that. And you start doing that and then you get cut down and then a whole other raft of negative connotations are sort of thrown at you, so to speak. So it's going to be really interesting to see how it unfolds because I think... With this area around males and diet culture, it's certainly there. But when we have a look at the way it's unfolded, you know, predominantly for females, I think we're certainly in the infancy of it. Mm-hmm. And where I think we've got an advantage is we can hopefully steer the course away from it being so influential on people. So that 10 years, 20 years down the track, these things aren't still so prevalent and so influential in the lives people are trying to live. Yeah. So what you're saying is hopefully men can kind of leverage off the body positivity movement and use that more towards what's happening with weight loss culture and men. That would be awesome. Yeah, yeah, definitely. If you're honest about it, a lot of this stuff has largely been applied to women. And as this marketing and the body image and the products are largely now starting to focus with men, I think we've got a good opportunity to take our learnings from the way it's unfolded in female diet culture to try and provide some early intervention so that it doesn't reach the same proportion and the same intensity that it has in yeah. that other part time. Yeah, yeah. And I guess, I mean, a very big difference between, I mean, I don't really think there's a differentiation, but if we talk about female diet culture and male diet culture, a very big difference between the two is just, I guess, the intersection of other types of oppression, like sexism, for example, or females being seen as secondary and having a long history of oppression. That's different. So men haven't suffered that level of oppression. So it's interesting to see how hopefully recovery from diet culture will unfold in men who are kind of less affected by sexism. Yeah, yeah, it's a really important, really important point I think that you've you've made and the as you say, it will be interesting to see how things move going forward, that's for sure. Mm, I think someone's got a PhD topic in that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, yeah the, well the good thing is that there are now more people working in that space as males, males and eating disorders, males and disordered eating in Australia and overseas. So it's it's certainly a growing field and you know, we've got some fantastic people uh, Scott with us down south and a number of people overseas as well. So yeah, there's certainly uh, lots of scope for us to do some great work in this field anyway. Yeah, that's right. Lots of good people working with eating disorders, but what we also need are lots of activists speaking out against this. Lots of complaints being made. 
you know, I want the phones at Jenny Craig and the email boxes at Jenny Craig to be flooded with irate men saying, just bugger off and stop talking to us about your crappy food because that kind of pushback is really meaningful and it will reduce the risk factors, which is the diet culture pressure to lose weight all the time. Yeah, definitely. And wouldn't that be nice to have those Jenny Craig inboxes filling up with those types of emails (laughs) coming onto the podcast and catching up today as as we spoke about, you know, I fired up around this influence of diets and males and that sort of thing. But, you know, I think I'm going to be leaving just as fired up around going out and trying to identify, you know, how we can start shifting that culture and getting those Jenny Craig emails filled up with, with those irate houses as have indicated. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so we're going to fill up the inboxes at Jenny Craig and we're going to ring Triple M in Sydney and complain about their manshake stuff as well. <laughs> Things yeah, we yeah. can do. <laughs> yeah, as you say, it all takes action, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. As health professionals, you know, you and I, we work with people who are affected by diet culture, but as humans, we can do so much to impact our culture. And that's that's something we can't lose sight of because the pushback is happening. It's definitely happening. Yeah, and I think anyone who denies that obviously got their head in the sand isn't aware of the reality that's going on around us. Or they've got their um, money tied up in a weight loss company. (laughs) True, yeah, there is another option. (laughs) Speaking to you, Oprah, yeah. Look, thank you so much for coming on and having this chat today and thanks for all the awesome work that you are doing. It's just really hopeful to know that there are some boys' lives that are going to get changed because of contact with you and people like you. Yeah, no, thanks so much for having me. It's been great chatting as always and I love the work you're doing with the Untrapped program and trying to shift the whole culture generally, which is absolutely awesome. So look forward to yeah, keeping you updated and letting you know what some changes are happening. Brilliant. In, in yeah, take care of yourself. Thanks so much, Shane. No worries. Thanks, Louise. Bye. Bye. Isn't he amazing? Thank you so much, Shane Jeffrey, for coming on and chatting to us about such an important topic. It was a real interesting one for me, so and I'm just glad we got it out of the way finally. So thank you again. If you want to find out more about Shane and his team and what, everything that they're doing, go to the website. It's foodmindbody.com.au and you'll find all of the social media handles there so you can start following and get involved. So that's it for another week of All Fired Up. Thank you so much for listening and I really appreciate all of your emails and comments and sort of passion about this because more and more I'm receiving messages from you guys about things that are pissing you off and things that you're noticing about diet culture and it really is oddly inspiring to me. So please keep it coming. If you've got something that's really getting under your skin, please send me an email to louise at untrapped.com.au and I will see how fiery we can get about that topic. So if you are enjoying the podcast, please make sure you're subscribed so you don't miss any episodes that are coming out. And please go to iTunes and leave us a top five star rating and review because the more of those we get, the higher up we get in their stats and the more people see us and the more people follow us and then diet culture topples and everything's okay and I don't need to go to work anymore. So that's a pretty big goal, but let's keep it coming. So If you are struggling with diet culture, with your relationship with food, with your relationship with your body, please don't forget about our lovely program, Untrapped, which is all about learning how to free yourself from diet culture prison and reconnect with amazing stuff like intuitive eating, moving because you love it, 
rather than moving because you think you have to lose weight or go harder. And probably most fundamental and important of all is learning how to feel at home in your body and embodied within yourself and protected from the culture rather than sort of continuing this battle of always trying to change your body in order to fit in and finding that such a difficult journey like so many people do. So in our community, we take you through, you know, step by step, we hold your hand and we are really seeing people recover from all of this disordered stuff that's happening. So please think about joining us at untrapped.com.au. And if you're interested in learning more about the science behind the anti-diet approach and why it's so convincing, then download the free ebook that we have, which is uh, also at untrapped.com.au. It should just pop up and you can download it. It's called Everything You've Been Told About Weight Loss Is Bullshit. It's been written by me and Fiona Willer and it goes through all of the, this approach. And you know, the evidence is phenomenal. It's not just an opinion. This is the only ethical way to go. So thank you, everybody, once again for listening and for getting so passionate about this topic. I'll be back next week with a massive pile of stinking diet culture bullshit that we're going to rake through. In the meantime, trust no one. Think critically. Push back against diet culture. Untrap from the crap. Mm -hmm.